You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 7 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you. I want to thank our PA announcer, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. And let me remind you of this for football fans. The moment you've been waiting for all season is right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings' free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you'll get a free instant prize of up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. Download the app now, enter the free prediction challenge, answer questions like who will score last, and boom, get ready to make it rain. DraftKings has paid over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use that promo code now, THPN, and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl challenge only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, let's get into the hockey story. The Leafs completed a very successful Alberta trip. It goes back over eight days. It has four games in it, and they go 3-0-1. Some great moments towards the end of the broadcast. We'll hand out our weekly Yes Guy Awards. And further analysis from Bill Waters, the former Leafs assistant general manager. And the nice feature today, we'll have hockey historian Paul Pasco with us. And Paul is the guy, whenever you see a hockey book or a hockey documentary or film, He's the go-to guy for research. This guy has, you know, quite a lot of stock. If you asked him for a copy of a game, and I'm not suggesting you do this, but if you want to know what happened in a game in 1965, a Leaf game, he would be able to tell you and back it up with video evidence. So he's on some interesting projects right now. We're going to find that out later on. But first, the Leafs with a nice run, 3-0-1 in Alberta. Further analysis now, as promised. From former Leafs assistant general manager and guest number one, Bill Waters. Okay, so pretty successful road trip for the Leafs, three zero and one. What are your thoughts when you look back on it? Well, I think pretty successful is a modest evaluation, Jimmy. I, I was very impressed with the way they played all four games, and I thought they could have won the fourth. Uh, with a little bit of shooting luck, they certainly had chances. And uh, I, I just, I, I've been very impressed with the Leafs uh, recently. And let's just do on the road trip. I then have to fall back to say, well, why is this happening? And I see some very positive reasons. I think their defense has tightened up significantly since that first game in Ottawa. And uh, they play a game now that allows them uh, to play one-goal games with a great deal of comfort. They have, they have a lot of confidence. 
in what they do when they're behind or ahead by one goal. That was not the case uh, last year or two because they were quite often giving away two-goal leads uh, for two points and ending up, you know, not even making the playoffs. And at the end of the end of the term, they 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 blew a lot of chances by not playing safe defensive hockey when they had the lead or when they were within a goal of the lead, and they're doing both of those things. So what's happened? Well, uh, they've added Bogosian, and he started slowly, but he's become very much a part of their top four, as I see it. And uh, they've added uh, Brody, and he was awful in the beginning, but he has become very steady. Uh, and uh, they've got six defensemen with uh, rotation from the taxi squad, and, and uh, that gives them the depth that you're going to need in this pandemic season because you never know when there's going to be an outbreak or a, a more serious case. So I think their defense has tightened up a lot. And I think that's not only their defense, I think their defensive philosophy has been tightened by their coach. In other words, he's figured it out. These guys love to score, and they've got to find a way to be happy with their game without scoring. And I think it's winning. And and that's something that you teach uh, your team and that inculcate within them and, and, and make them play that way. And I, I listened to... Uh, Austin Matthews' comments after the game and how happy they were to get seven out of eight points on the road. I, I think that's that's a great comment. Uh, it would, last year would have been, oh, I, I'm really happy I got six goals. Well, he didn't get six goals, but he played extraordinarily well in both ends of the rink. And as I said, the maturity of Austin Matthews will be directly related to whether they win, the, win a playoff round or not. And so I don't look at the team as much as I look at Matthew. And if he continues to progress and continues to say the right things, which means he has his mind in shape, the Leafs are going to be very competitive. Then you move to the forwards, and their first two lines are their first two lines. They better score goals, and they better not give up any easy ones. But their last two lines have been impressive. impressive. Whether it's uh, uh, Alex Kerfoot's line with uh, – Mikhailov, who's become an outstanding penalty killer, or whether it's Spetz's line, which is, in my estimation, 2B, not 4, 2B. He gets a lot of offense when he's uh, 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 out there on his fourth line and uh, he, he plays in the second power play. I think uh, Jason Spetz is one of the most significant acquisitions that the Leafs have made in a while, particularly for the price. So, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with the Leafs. I don't want to be too impressed because you have to look at who they played, and I don't think they've played an above 500 team since they played Montreal so uh, and Ottawa. Uh, so they, they've got – and they're not going to – they're not going to play too many above 500 teams. As, as I see it, Jim, the President's Trophy will be won by either Toronto or Montreal – and I'm betting on Montreal because I do think Montreal has a better team. But I know one thing. Toronto has a better team, too. And the proof shall be in the pudding, and the pudding shall be mixed sometime in May when the playoffs start. That's, uh, I don't know if that's very tasteful, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I think what you're saying there is is that the Leafs are 
playing within themselves and, and they seem to know what to do as opposed to in the past. They may have been told exactly what they've been told recently, but they're able to process it. They're able to actually do it. And in the past, they were always looking for somebody to lead the way, didn't seem to know how to do it. But this team, when you watch them play, uh, they don't panic on the ice. When they were down 3-1 on Saturday, they bounced right back, and, and they play within themselves. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it can be summed up in one word if you want to oversimplify, and that is maturity. They're all a year older. They all probably have said, hey, nice to get 30 or 40, but boy, oh, boy, you don't win around the playoffs around here. You're a dog. They want They want to be able to hold their heads high, as professional athletes and very good ones, I might add. And all of that can be related directly uh, to their success in the playoffs. They're, they're going through a program of preparing themselves to beat Montreal in the second round of the playoffs. They better win the first rounder. They may not exist. I over-exaggerate <laughs> over there. But they, they, know, they know what they have to do and to be – a team with any uh, respect from their fans and, and from uh, the other people in hockey, they've got to be in the Western Conference final from June. And very simple goal, quite attainable, except the Montreal-Toronto series for the final in the uh, uh, Scotiabank uh, Conference will be a classic. And I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think the switching of the uh, of the divisions has created an excitement that not even Gary Bettman thought he would have. Well, it is interesting to watch the uh, the two game sets. So this this week the Leafs have three at home to Vancouver, and then the following week, uh, which takes us actually the next week, and then there's uh, home and home with Montreal. I mean, that, that's a great week of hockey ahead. Um, I just think that when when I watch the Leafs play now, I sort of have the same mentality I used to have with the Raptors. Uh, meaning that you would understand that good things are, are likely to happen. You don't know where it's going to come from, but you know it's going to happen. And, and we, I don't think we ever approached the Leafs that way, certainly not recently. No, I, I agree. I, I think that uh, when you get confidence in a team like you had in the Raptors, and I began watching them when they got the buzzer beater because I just yep. got back from Florida, uh, and – they played the same way every game, and, and uh, I, I've noticed the Leafs. They just haven't gotten carried away with the frivolity of scoring goals, and it's not easy to score goals, but you've got to wait for them. You can't push for them because when you push for them, you create opportunities going the other way, and they don't do that very often, and it makes their defense look better, and it makes their team look better, and I think uh, if Keith is given the credit, good for him. He's He's put a new understanding in what he wants to be able to call a successful team. And they're listening so far. Well, I like what you said about maturing. So it's just like a a personal golf story. And and it's all about processing what you're told because anybody could tell you anything, but if you're not ready to sort of process it yourself, because you're not a machine, you have to figure out what you're being told. Somebody gave me a golf tip. It took me four years to understand what the guy was telling me. And I was golfing one day and I went, that's what he meant. And, and I believe that that's what we're seeing with the Leafs. Like some of the stuff that Babcock would have told them when he was coach is true, but they weren't ready for it, were they? No, they weren't. And, and, and perhaps 
It's in the delivery. Mike Babcock's a very confident guy. And I'm sure Sheldon Keith is too. But Mike Babcock came with great reputation. And those guys, you know, they they may have been tired of being talked down to. And I, I don't don't misconstrue that as a criticism of Mike Babcock because it's not. He's one of the better coaches in the game. His record speaks for itself, particularly his record when Canada's opposition is its equivalent or better, and we have won Olympics and World Championships with this man behind the bench. And you know what a coach contributes? Babcock contributes the same. So if you give other people credit for the victories in the Olympics, you better give Babcock some credit too because Pat Quinn won in the Olympics, Pat Quinn won in the juniors, so did Babcock. And if Babcock's as good as Pat Quinn, he's one hell of a coach. Um, let me ask you this. The, the McDavid goal on Saturday night was one of those, a goal of the ages. Uh, he gets the puck in his own zone. What this guy can do at full speed with the puck is, is remarkable. Uh, it was just one of those, it was a highlight reel goal. And, and so I want to ask you, uh, because you've been around the game slightly longer than me, uh, I think when I saw that goal, I thought immediately of Bobby Hall and Bobby Orr, who could easily skate the distance of the ice and go in and score. It was that kind of a goal, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And, and I think that as much as it's a good comparison to two great players, Hall and Orr, and Orr could skate, so could Hall. Uh, Orr could uh, skate and shoot the puck at the same time with great speed. Bobby's shot was more, uh, and it, you knew it was coming, but you didn't want to get in front of it. Mm-hmm. But those are two good players. I, I don't think that, McDavid has ever had a peer who could skate and handle a puck as much as he does and as well as he does. And when he gets that puck, as he did on Saturday, and you see all the troops falling back, he loves that. Because then he's got you flat-footed. And he can go around you, he can go through you, but he's going very fast. And that's what the key to his game is, is He's the best player in the game today, and he will be uh, the, the man of this generation, although I don't want to downplay Leon Dreisaitl. What I do want to do, though, is those two guys have so much hockey IQ between them. They know where each other's going to be. You saw the winning overtime goal. I mean, Dreisaitl laid that over exactly where he thought that uh, Connor McDavid could get his stick and deflected into the net. And that, they had another one the, uh, a few nights before. I think the, the Leaf game that, they, uh, that McDavid scored in. But anyway, they do that very well and quite often. And it's hockey at its very best. It's above the normal hockey IQ, though. They just they have a perception of where their teammate's going to be and they know where he can get to because of his speed. And so Bryce Idol has the hockey IQ to lay the pass out at the proper speed so that when the puck flats on the ice, the next thing it hits is Connor McDavid's stick, and it's in the net. And it's wonderful to watch, particularly when it happens. But when it happens, you say, ooh, ah. And just like his goal with all five leaps, he only a guy with that speed and that dexterity and that hockey sense or hockey IQ, as a lot of them want to call it, uh, 
than do what McDavid did. I mean, it's hypnotic to watch because he's actually accelerating as he starts, uh, you know, puck handling. He's accelerating, which I don't know that you would yeah. ever accuse anybody of doing that in the past. No, I agree. I agree. He's a he's a wonderful skater. I remember I saw him as a 12-year-old in Aurora. And at that point, I was uh, visiting Bobby Orr. I was speaking at his agents, uh, all of his clients and their parents, and they, they, some of the clients and potential clients wrote scrimmaging. Bobby said, look at the little guy up there. So I looked at him, oh, Jesus. He was 12 years old. You should have seen him playing with the 14, 15-year-olds. He just he he's he was born to be a great player. His speed is what allows him to be set aside from the others. Not so much not only the speed, but the ability to use to handle a puck and shoot the puck at that speed or even faster, as you've just pointed out, Jim, because you're right. When he gets the puck, he doesn't wait for anybody. He accelerates and then when he meets the first player, he accelerates again. I don't think we know what his top acceleration is yet. Oh, it's uh, just marvelous to watch. So the Leafs have three games uh, starting later this week with Vancouver wrapping around into next week. And uh, the Vancouver Canucks have played, as we speak right now, 12 games. But they have six regulation losses. But this is a team that uh, might be a little road-weary, don't you think? They were just in Montreal and I mean, that's the that's sort of the, the, the negative of this schedule is uh, the West teams come east and stay for a while, and the east teams go yeah. west and stay for a while. It's, I mean, it all evens out, but it's difficult, isn't it? Yes, it is, and, and I, think, I think the teams are finding that, and that's why the utilization of the taxi squad, just like the, that second game in Calgary, uh, the Tuesday game, they played Sunday, played Tuesday. They played Tuesday. They made three changes. Uh, at least three from the taxi squad for the forwards. That was a rest for Jason Spezza. Yep. You've seen how Spezza's played since then. He's, he's played quite well, notwithstanding any goals or assists, but he's played very well. His line, to me, does not look like a fourth line. And when you can throw those guys out of your fourth line, you've got a distinct advantage on the other team. And at this point, the Leafs utilizing Spezza and his group, particularly utilizing Spezza's skills, on the on the power play, have gained strength in, in two areas, and that that's what makes the Leafs a better team than they were last year. They have players who can play on four lines, and they have players who can play on two power plays. And right now, they're having a hard time choosing between which power play is best. And if that doesn't define depth, I don't know what does. And and the Leafs have accidentally fell upon it. Well, it is interesting because I, I think uh, the, the way to sum this up would be it doesn't matter. So in the past, as you said earlier, it would have mattered who scored the goals, and it would have mattered. I remember having endless debates in our broadcast about who was playing on the fourth line uh, and, and who was on the blue line and what the pairings were. None of those things that we were concerned about matter anymore because it's happening, right? That's right. And and it's players, they have obtained finally. They And we haven't even mentioned the most significant. Wayne Simmons yep. has given the Leafs, in my estimation, a satisfaction, a comfort zone, because they got one player on the ice that can look after things. And they've gone for five, six, maybe more years. Well, since you got rid of Martin, 
but they've gone for a few years without protection. It's like watching Edmonton play with the players they've got surrounding those two world stars. That's, that's disgusting. They should have a better goalie. They should have better defense. They should have some depth at forward. They have none of that. They're exposing their two best players to the worst of all times. When they go in the other guy's rink, they got the major checkers on them. And you know what's going to happen? And I, I'm not predicting this. I'm just saying there's going to come a time when both of them, Dreisaitl and uh, Connor McDavid, are going to say, hey, we've had enough here. Find us another place. Give us a call when you do. We're not coming to training camp. And that's, that's how it's going to be because they've been more than fair in waiting for Bob Nicholson and his crew, uh, Kenny Holland, to do something. And they haven't. And, and that's, that's why Edmonton, who's fighting for a playoff spot, should be in third spot behind the Leafs and the Canadians. Uh, the one thing about Simmons, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't, who, who was the net front before Simmons got here? I don't remember that. Who was which? Oh, the net net front. Yeah. No. I didn't. Think, no. Well, maybe sometimes uh, um, the big winger, um, Zach Iman. Sometimes Zach was. I think he'd make a good net front. But Simmons is a, is a net front who retaliates and Simmons is a net front that makes a defenseman think about him when he's in the area because Simmons is a big, strong guy, and he doesn't hesitate uh, to use his physicality in front. It's just changed the, and it changed the power play. It, it's allowed the Leafs to go with two power plays uh, instead of having to load up on one because they know that they're going to get chances. And they, they do have the skill set to put five guys on each power play. And, but they have to have one of them that has a presence of of uh, physicality. Because if you're just going to stand around on the edges, you the goalie's just going to see them all. He, he just puts them in his glove. And yep. uh, the Leafs have changed that, and, and they've changed a lot of things. The one thing that I am looking forward to, Jim, and it's a long way away, but the last three games of the schedule, as I recall, the Montreal Canadiens against the Toronto Maple Leafs in Toronto. And that will be a barn burner because I would think based on the way it's going, that they will be within six points of each other and the winner takes all. Yeah. Just going to correct you there. So three of the last four, May 3rd is at Montreal. May 5th is at Ottawa. Then the last two are at home to Montreal. So three out of the last four. So three out of the last story. Sorry. But but that's all right. I mean, it's, uh, the Ottawa games are going to be a throwaway anyway at that point, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. We'll do this again next week. Thank you. I want to thank Bill for his time. Now to the hockey historian, guest number two, Paul Pasco. All right, Paul, I see you have your Maple Leaf gear on. So you're watching the Leafs lately. They were 3 0 one Seven out of eight points in a four-game Alberta trip, which has got to be, I don't know if it's record-setting. You might know that, but uh, certainly a great trip, wasn't it? It sure was. Uh, They usually have troubles out west, but this is kind of a different um, uh, time year when they have to play back-to-back, and and it's just strange. Um, But it didn't seem to affect their play. They could have won all four games. And one one of the problems is they're only winning by one goal in these games. So I I wish they would have more of a cushion going to the last minute or so. But um, I'm happy with what they're doing. 
Well, it's a totally different look. I mean, it's almost like they're, uh, they're they've grown up and know exactly what to do, and they have the look of a team that's about to win a hockey game, which before was always somewhat negotiable, wasn't it? That's right. I, I have to say, though, when I turned the TV on Saturday night, I didn't recognize the two teams. I didn't know who the blue and gray were against the orange, but uh, <laughs> it turned out they were the same Maple Leafs I've always watched. Um, I didn't care much for those um, sweaters, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you're the hockey historian. I mean, there's not that many tweaks to the Leaf jersey over the years. There's different eras where things look different, but for the most part, they didn't mess with it much, did they? Well, no. This one brings back the the sad eighties. Um, if they're going to go to a, another one, I guess maybe their hands were tied by the manufacturer. But I prefer the Leafs of the sixties with the definitive Maple Leaf when they're winning Stanley Cups. That is my Leaf uniform. Well, I, actually, when you go through the original six, except for the Rangers, who ne- ne- didn't really have a crest for the most part, um, all those uniforms are simple and elegant, aren't they? That's right. And that's why Chicago Blackhawks um, seem to have the best, according to any fan reviews. Uh, Detroit's never changed. Montreal's never changed. Boston has um, a bit. Uh, Chicago made a big change in the 50s. The Rangers had those... Um, they changed in the late 70s for a couple of years, but they weren't very popular. So, yeah, it's nice to keep tra- tradition. I mean, you can't change Detroit Red Wings. What could you make of it? Well, it's a winged wheel. I mean, it's, it's only one way to go with that. <laughs> That's right. You leave it alone. Yeah. And, and, and the Blackhawks, I hope they don't have to change their name or anything like that because, uh, you know, we're used to Blackhawks and, and uh, celebrating the history well, well, it's, we'll it's, done, it's done respectfully. What, what exactly. It's done with all due respect. Okay, let's get into some uh, projects here um, uh, that you're working on. What are you up to these days? Because you're, you're, as I sort of alerted all our listeners, there's a hockey project. Your name appears on it somewhere because you're you're the guy who legitimizes the research. Yeah, well, yeah, it's um, kind of a busy time for me. Uh, people are uh, gearing up for, you know, the 50th anniversary 72 series and and we're working on a a leaf fans book we're working uh, sorry a documentary we're also working on a Tom Marley's documentary there's two other leaf documentaries that I've been asked to work on I can't name them because they're not they're just proposals at this point and there's a Glenn Hall documentary that I'm working on right now and and, and many more projects uh, they just keep coming in <laughs> Uh, well, I'd be interested in the Marlies one, just because it's, uh, you know, the Marlies were such a good organization to develop for uh, the Leafs. And of course, that changed over the years with expansion and, and it wasn't a pipeline directly to the Leafs. But the Marlies franchise, which is still around today in the American Hockey League, is a storied past. What, what's your angle there? Okay, well, we had, um, well, because the, the Marley brand is back now and has been for a number of years, we thought we would try to combine the history of the Marlies, which is a great history. And so we started to have these reunions of the Memorial Cup teams from 55 up to 75. So we we thought, well, we should make a documentary about this because there's a lot of great stories. So we're, we're, we're covering the period up to the late 80s when the Marley Junior stopped, and then we pick it up again 
And I think we're going to end it with the Calder Cup. They, they, they won a couple of years ago. We did interview Sheldon Keefe last year before the pandemic started. So it's on hold right now. But we've got so many good stories. And even George Armstrong came to the 73 and 75 reunions because he wanted to be with his boys. And he made an emotional speech as well. You know, he doesn't go to many events. He didn't go. And but he came to that and he had a great time. So, um, and seeing all those Martleys from the fifties, you know, that were still around, that, that, was a, that was a joy. So yeah, looking forward to completing that. So when, when you have these, um, these reunions, there's video, right? That's right. Oh, so you would have George's speech. Yes, we do. And uh, it's pretty emotional. And, and, you know, we, Glenn Goldhub had gotten up. He was like the leader of the team in the 73 and and he'd finished his speech and he went to sit down and I, I look at uh, Chief there sitting in the chair and he looks at me and and he gets up and he shocked everybody but he wouldn't even talk when he they unveiled a statue but he came up so in the 1975 one he came back again and this time he had a written note so he was preparing so he, like I said it was an emotional speech by George Armstrong because uh, that was a happy time of his life. Well, and that's that really is a good description of, of how George was. He wasn't a guy to uh, to uh, I guess infiltrate where he wasn't where he didn't feel it was proper. But but if it meant something, uh, you know, he was going to do something. That's the kind of guy he was, right? Exactly. Yeah, very modest, and he didn't know what all the fuss was about. Why everybody wanted to talk to him and see him and all that. He's just a, a great family man, and and when you get to talk to him, you, you learn so much because. He's been, he's done everything. You talk about the best junior at one time and four Stanley Cups, the captaincy, and then coaching and scouting. And, and, and he was a funny, funny man. I mean, he, he, him and Johnny Bauer together were, were hilarious. I just, I just um, miss them both. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's where we're at. Unfortunately, time goes on and, and uh, you, you treasure it. Oh, I know that you would all the many meetings that you had with George and Johnny and all those functions that you were at. And, and luckily enough, you were able to record some of them and, and build lasting memories. But, you know, time goes on and a lot of these guys sadly aren't around anymore. It's a big loss, isn't it? Yeah. We, you know, Bob Nevin, Eddie Shack, Johnny Bauer, Red Kelly, you know, George Armstrong and, and others before them. Yeah. You get to be friends with them and, and, and it hurts when you lose them but you have to face it. Uh, we we do have all the recordings. We 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 had these alumni lunches once a month that you've been to. Uh, we can't have them right now, but we um, you know Red Kelly came to those, and and Frank Mahalovich comes, and and Bob Nevin was a regular. Eddie Shack came la previous October to talk about his book, and and Bobby Bond had come just to see Eddie, and they went up together, and they embraced each other, and talked about the 60s, and you can't buy that. That, that was just incredibly, you know, fun to listen to, and, and see them react to each other like that, so yeah, we try to keep the old players, um, you know, alive in a sense where they, uh, people don't forget about them, and, and we love the stories, too. Well, and those guys, I mean, they were, they were unforgettable. They're, they're just, uh, I, I think you're a lot like me in that um, you grew up watching them play. Uh, you were absolutely uh, thrilled when they would acknowledge your existence, like uh, come up to you and say hi. I mean, that to me, that still remains the biggest thrill 
of my life is to be able to meet guys that I watched play as a kid and, and converse with them. I, that's absolutely stunning to me. I'm sure it is to you, too. Well, it is. Um, growing up as a kid, watching them Saturday nights, you only had one game a week, and that wasn't even the whole game on TV. You'd never think that you'd become friends with them. They invite you into their homes, and, and they call, and and it's just... It, I'm lucky, lucky to be able to do that. And, um, you know, and, and the throw hasn't gone. If it's a, a leaf from that era, it's, it's still get that magical feeling about it. I mean, talking to Bob Bond about something that happened in the 60s, and uh, they're all class guys, like like Red Kelly. I mean, what a what a human being. He, he just, he, he did everything, but he was modest as well. Although, except one time... Asked him if he, if the players of the past could play today, um, and he said, "Oh yes, we sure could." You know, and he, 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 he was underrated in a sense too. He was. You talk to the players; they're the ones that know. Red Kelly was up there in the, you know, top ten of of, of NHL players. He was he was that good. Well, I would venture to say they were all underrated because there was no uh, platform as there are today. Many platforms to honor and celebrate the achievement as it happens back then you read about it in the newspaper the day after and that was the only way to know because there was no satellite no nightly television no nightly sportscast i mean it was those are those are really lean times in terms of information yeah but it, it took a week before the next game would come on and and you'd be anticipating the whole week for for nine o'clock on saturday nights and and Bill Hewitt comes on and tells you the score, and, and it, it's all good nostalgia. And the Leafs were winning at that time, so that that kind of makes it even more memorable. And wish it was like that again. But um, hockey's a different game now um, in a lot of aspects. Well, that's and that's an interesting tale as well. And so you're talking about Saturday nights, and I I remember this well. Uh, the broadcast, the game would start at eight. The broadcast would start at nine. And so this was the, the very early 60s. And so at some point, that was either the end of the first period or it was in the intermission. And if it was, if the period was still going on, you knew that was bad news because you'd missed a big fight or a lot of yeah. goals. And, and the one that, that I'll never forget is because this is long before Bobby Orr. Boston was the bottom feeder of the league in the six-team league. Uh, and then Bill Hewitt would do his intro and the score is Boston five, Toronto nothing. And you just... You felt the coach because that was just you had no idea that that Boston could score five goals against the Leafs over a week, let alone in a period. That's right. They were the worst team in the league for, for a few years. Leafs were a cup winning team. They had won the cup the year before. And you turn the TV on and you always expected, especially on Saturday nights, the Leafs were always in the lead when Bill Hewitt come on and announce the score. Now this was different. That game ended up eleven nothing. When we were doing the classic game shows years later, we actually found the, um, the kinescopes of that game. I said, we've got to put this one on because even the Leaf players are laughing about it. It gets transferred and every single goal was cut out. We couldn't show it. We had the game, the intermissions, everything, and we couldn't show it. All the goals were cut out. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a memorable game that um, – uh, we'd love to, you know, relive that one. Yeah, as far as fights That's go, right. yeah, you would lose. Yeah. You wouldn't see the fights in the first period, except um, they did film them. So in the classic games, we would actually show those 
fights that were never ever seen by anybody except those inside the building. So, so anybody listening to this would go, so Paul has access to those games, those Hockey Night in Canada games from the 60s, which were like a video Bible. I mean, there was a religious connection to those games for all of us as kids and, and really across Canada, anybody who can remember them. Like I could watch one of those games right now and I could tell you exactly what's going to happen. It just burned into my brain cells because it made such an impact. It was the highlight of the week, right? But but tell us what you have there, that, that what you can access and, and, and how you came about that. Well, it's a long story how I started, but I'll, I'll do it quickly. I, I can't, I remember... My first memory of hockey is 58-59 season watching with my dad. The Leafs made the playoffs on the last night of the season. And even the players, and even Panchimak said that was the most satisfying year they ever had because they were in last place most of the year up until the last week of the season, actually the last couple of days. So I started then. I always wanted to recreate that feeling because I lost, lost my dad like three months after that. So I started searching for all the old video and people were saying it didn't exist and CBC and all that. And we didn't keep anything, but I did find them all at the National Archives. And once I had that knowledge, started working with um, Molstar and CBC, the NHL. And, you, and I started acquiring all these films. And I probably have, well, there's hundreds of them. There's not much from the mid-50s. Uh, but from late 50s to the early 70s, almost every single game was um, was preserved. So I had them all cataloged and, and shot listed and and all the newspaper accounts. And, you know, it's it's uh, and then we did the classic games. We used those from the classic games. So uh, and that was a popular thing. We show all the best ones there, Leaf winning the cup and and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's been a fun ride. I would imagine that that would be like rediscovering every toy you had as a kid. That's right. Yeah. It's, it brings you back to good memories. So it, I accomplished what I set out to do. It actually got bigger than I thought. I never thought I'd be into the business of of uh, doing all these documentaries and, and, and shows, but uh, that's fine too. It pays well. The one thing I remember as a kid, and you know, you're too young to understand the ramifications, but I always felt that when I watched an original six game, you could feel in the players, uh, not so much the uh, the core players. Is, uh, strangely enough, it was it's almost set up like it is today for different reasons. Back then, it was a team-imposed salary cap where they were only going to spend so much money. So obviously, the best players got, got paid theoretically the best, although it wasn't always the case. But I always felt that when I watched one of those games that, that people were wary of the fact that if they didn't play well, they wouldn't be in the league any longer. Oh, that's for sure. They 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 hid their injuries because of a six-team league. Uh, you, there's a lot of guys waiting to take their place. At least Rochester team was so strong. They they probably could have been a team in the NHL and finished ahead of Rangers in Boston in those days. They were that good. Of course, Imlac had a, you know, he was tough on the players for salaries. That's for sure because they were taken out of his pocket if he if they. Um, you know, ask for more money, but uh, yeah, Johnny Bauer was underpaid the whole time. Okay, um, Mahovlich had to hold out. Uh, you know, they 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 weren't um, compensated like they should have been. Even the endorsements and things they had to share. So it's um, so I don't begrudge them making the money now. You know, they if they were playing nowadays, you think what kind of a 
contract Frank Mahalovich would get these days. Red Kelly, Dave Keon. Wow. You know. Well, these are these are the guys that you can go through any original six roster and understand that these were the guys that built the league aside from their own franchises. They built that league, didn't they? They sure did. You know, and they want to show their grandkids um, when they played. And they, they, they never had any access to any of the footage. So I, I've been making tapes for them of highlights or interviews or, or games, and, and they love it so they can show their kids. And the ones that like it the most are the ones that who weren't the stars because people won't remember them, and they're really happy. So at these alumni luncheons, I do a video tribute of a different player each time, and they get to take the DVD home with them, and uh, everybody loves watching them. I think that's a great thing you're doing. Uh, and we've got much more to talk about in another visit because we're out of time here. But, Paul, I'd love to have you back. Thanks for this. Anytime. This was a very enjoyable. Thanks, Jim. Last minute of play in this podcast. And there is the time warning from PA announcer Mike Ross. So let's get look at he split into the Yes Guy Awards, and they'll go like this. Let's start with Justin Hall. Very, very steady on the blue line. Did a nice job in the Alberta series. It is coming into his own as a feature to watch on a nightly basis. Yes Guy Award to Austin Matthews on this road trip. Four and one for five points. Nicely done. When you see him out there, he is determined to lead his team to victory. Another Yes Guy Award to Mitch Marner. One and five for six points in this road trip. Didn't score as much, but was very involved in the play. And anytime you get six points in four games, that is worth something. Speaking of six points in four games, how about Morgan Riley? Six assists and certainly looks like the top defenseman on the team, which is a role that he's had in the past, but he is just playing into what he's capable of right now. Another Yes Guy Award, too. Wayne Simmons, three goals, all in consecutive games. So three goals in three games, 3-0 and on the road trip for three points, three goals, three points. It all adds up, right? And he is a going concern for the opposition. Net front presence, something the Leafs have lacked in the past. And one more to Freddie Anderson, who has been very, very steady on this road trip. The Leafs looking very good and solid as they get set for three games against Vancouver, which will wrap around in the next week. And then there's a home and home with Montreal. Busy times ahead. Hope you appreciate and enjoyed episode seven. Hope you come back for episode eight on Friday.